This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Hey, guys, did you know that the Toasted Sister store is fully stocked? Well, it is. If you're a fan of this show and you learned a whole lot about indigenous food sovereignty by listening, please consider supporting with a purchase. I still have lots of t-shirts, bags, and prints available, so check out the shop at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. In other news, I've been featured in a cool young readers book called Food Stars, 15 Women Stirring Up the Food Industry. It's written by Ellen Mahoney. The book came out in October this month and is available right now wherever you buy books. I have one advanced copy and I just might give it to a young reader via social media, so follow Toasted Sister on Facebook and Instagram. This is big episode number 80, and you know what? I think it's about time you learned a little bit more about me. I've shared bits of my story throughout this podcast and with other food media, but I thought it was about time I opened up a little more with you guys about some of the most important things I've learned while doing this podcast and how I've been handling my mental health lately. In this episode, my sister Alicia Murphy interviews me. For context, Alicia is the economist for the Navajo Nation, and at my full-time job, I'm the senior producer for Native America Calling. Got it? You sure? All right, here we go. Well, um, introduce yourself. My name is Andy Murphy. I am the creator, host, and uh, producer of the Toasted Sister podcast, which is the only award-winning show about Native American food. I am also a radio producer with Native America Calling, which is also the only live one-hour radio show about indigenous issues and topics. So really, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for about a decade now, starting my focus in uh, feature writing with newspaper, um, old newspaper print, and moved over to radio with Native America Calling. And then uh, Toasted Sister is this, you know, big side project that really has turned into a big resource for Native American food and, and capturing all the voices of um, this Native food movement. Mm-hmm. How was that trans- transition between writing for a classic newspaper to everything social media and now radio and podcasting? Yeah, well, when I was in college, that was really like the transition point in media where you know, all of the uh, all the prof- professors and the old editors and journalists, they were really like talking about this new frontier of social media and blogs and anybody can be a journalist and stuff like that. And this big boom of, you know, other media sources other than 
newspapers. So, you know, I got my training really quick right at the beginning of my journalism education and career with uh, multimedia uh, journalism. So, you know, photography was one thing that I got really interested in. So I learned a whole bunch about photography and uh, photojournalism. And then uh, using social media, it was one thing we got really uh, interested in. And then um, started off with making sound slides. I don't know if that's actually a thing anymore, uh, but it was a program that combined audio with photos. And I think I made like, I don't know, two of them while I was at the newspaper. And then, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all this other kind of uh, media maker apps came out and kind of took took everything over. So, you know, beginning at uh, Las Cruces Sun News, uh, right out of college, I was uh, focusing on features, which is, you know, the lighter side of journalism. I know some people call it like fluff journalism and like easy pieces and stuff like that. But those have really been um, something that I really enjoyed doing because it's really... Um, getting into the nitty-gritty of a person and, and finding out why they are sticking out in the community, whether they've uh, rescued you know, somebody from a burning building or they won the lottery in town and they're like the only person who won the lottery in town. And it's cool to find out stories about people and write these uh, people stories. And it's also really, really fun for me to write very colorfully. Because even before I was interested in journalism, I wanted to be an author like Anne Rice <laughs> and write like sexy vampire books and, you know, f you know, fiction like that. So definitely with uh, features writing, uh, you can be a whole lot more colorful. You know, also in Las Cruces is where I found food. I got sent out to do a food review and from there I kept getting getting assigned to do these food reviews and pretty soon, it, you know, three years, every week, I went to a new restaurant, ate something and wrote about it and took a photo. So that's how I really got interested in food. And then, you know, this position over here at Native America Calling came up. Honestly, I didn't, re I've never really heard of Native America Calling before, um, but, you know, I, I looked into it and I'm like, wow, that's what I initially wanted to do. I wanted to be a, a Native journalist focusing on Native issues and topics. So I applied and I got it. And I was really kind of afraid of that transition from writing print and then going into radio. I made sure to tell the editor here a couple of different times, like, you know, I'm from print journalism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, this is how I write. And But after a while, you know, after a while of um, uh, working with the editor, working with the host at the time, um, I learned the style. It's a lot more, it's a lot simpler. In this position as a, as a producer for an actual host, you learn how to write how they would naturally talk. So now, you know, we have a new host and it's a little bit, um, a little bit different style uh, from Tara, who was the previous host. Uh, I'm getting uh, a hold of his uh, style of speaking and definitely when, whenever you're a, a writer and you have an editor, you also kind of learn how to write for that specific editor. Of course, from radio to podcasting, it's just easy. 
and I'm my own editor for <laughs> Toasted Sister. Um, but I still do article pieces every now and then. That skill is probably is probably always going to be with you, uh, but now you focus on this job and Toasted Sister and art stuff. You just have a lot going on all the time. Um, so that was you coming out of college and going into like your careers, going into what you are good at and ex- expert at writing, and and now you're working on always working in radio and producing and stuff like that. So tell me, how did you start Toasted Sister? How I started Toasted Sister. So um, if you listen to the first episode, I kind of give a uh, a little ditty about it. <laughs> We're just talking about that word ditty. Don't say ditty. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, even if you haven't uh, heard the very first episode, um, you know, while I was here at Native America Calling, I was fresh and um, I was starting to look into Native American food. And, um, you know, from from writing all about the food happening in Las Cruces, all the different kinds of restaurants from people who come from all over the world. And I was learning about that kind of food and the culture and the people. And then, you know, the uh, the issues that these people face and, you know, the history of where these flavors come from and the ingredients come from. But uh, I never really paid too much attention to Native American food or Navajo food. So uh, I started, you know, poking around a little bit and found out that there was Nephi Craig and Sean Sherman kind of doing a little bit of work. So uh, talk to them for a show. I think it was just about Native American food. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> From there, you know, just following Nephi and Sean Sherman, I, um, you know, got to know a whole bunch of other culinary folks from all kinds of tribes and all kinds of different um, expertise. And, of course, you know, they have all of their own issues and all of their own history and, you know, all of their own, like, really beautiful flavors and ways to do really awesome culinary work. So I decided that, uh, you know, it needed to be a lot more than just a couple of episodes on Native America Calling. And um, it was actually Monica, who was one of the previous uh, pro- pro- producers here, who was like, you should just do a podcast. And I'm like, huh, let's see then. You know, and she's like, you you have the studio here, which we're in the studio right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have the studio here. You've been writing for radio. It's just the same. You know, come up with a little bit of a loose structure. And, um, you know, you already know how to interview people. Why don't you just do it? And so... And so I did it. And, um, you know, it's been five years, two awards. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Five years? It's been five years, yeah. Just over those five years, learning about all kinds, every kind of Native issue and topic in my regular job for Native America Calling. You know, all of this just kind of, you know, blends into and, and combines with all of the 
issues folks are are looking at when it comes to indigenous food and food sovereignty. So, you know, it's all everything's all you know connected. And there's, you know, you can be like a lawyer, but at the same time, you know, whatever your lawyer work is doing for you know Indian policy or whatever, that uh, trickles down into what somebody can do on their own land in terms of like agriculture. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm like, there's so many stories. <laughs> there's there's so much going on. With a, a lot of my podcast, it was like, here's what this cool chef is doing. Here's this issue. Here's that. And now there's like 10 people, 12 people right now who are just like making moves like right now. And I'm like kind of frozen <laughs> and I don't know who to pick next. Yeah. So I'm kind of kind of in that position now where I'm like, I want to I want to talk to everybody, but who do I go to first? I want to travel there and talk to that person, but not yet. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm having trouble just kind of moving forward right now. I have an episode about uh, a co-op in the can. I have an episode about uh, Miss Navajo. So those two are almost ready to go. They just need one more piece and. Um, you know, a couple hours for me to sit down and put it all together. Mm-hmm. I forgot what your original question was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who are you? Oh, what is the meaning of life? That was my original question. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> who are your parents? I just asked you what time it was. <laughs> time, you know, that's very interesting. Time it just keeps going. And food. <laughs> We just need it every day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think that's sort of a a common thing that's happening now after we're after the globe is coming out of a pandemic. Like, there's so many things that we learned just staying home. There's so many things that we were able to watch on our phones or watch on TV or, or, you know, you did those night owl chats that, you know, brought people together doing different things all parts on, uh, from different parts of our country. Mm-hmm. And then now, now we're, we're coming, coming back into almost a normal eight to five sort of schedule again after COVID. And now it's just, we're just bombarded with all of these ideas that it's, it's really stressful to think where to start mm-hmm. next because I feel that at my job. I mean, I I didn't have this job when I was when COVID started, but there's so many ideas that are coming to my office from people who have had to sit there and just wait out COVID and mm-hmm. go through that stress and then but um so it's not like a concern. Mm-hmm. Not I'm not worried about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really cool that you have this resource um just there. Like so many people you've met in 5 years. So many people you've learned from from five years and you're using that to teach people that have absolutely no idea what native food is, what indigenous food is, what farmers are doing to help their own communities, what astronauts are doing with green chili seeds. That was the coolest episode. (laughs) Um, And I when I one of the before I forget, one of the things that I wish you could do with the sister episode is go back to that sheep camp and just like. What is an give an update on this family because that episode was so awesome. Mm. It was really one of my favorite episodes. After and then that next was the green chili episode, 
but yeah um there's an idea for you <laughs> yeah yeah um, that'd be cool but it was just so like peaceful mm-hmm. over there like you know by by the shiprock i don't know what that area is called mm-hmm. shiprock <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i've never even been that close to that rock before yeah um, so that was really neat um okay so after going through that move from college to your career now and then your your hustles on the side which is toasted sister and art how did you get started in art stuffs uh, because in the beginning of Toasted Sister, I didn't have any money to start with. I, I knew I wanted to have some kind of logo, so I just decided to draw it myself. <laughs> and um, it started out with that corn stalk. I was kind of inspired by a couple of uh, posters in this uh, studio at Native America Calling. Um, and then, you know, just kind of thinking, like, I don't want to have just a microphone with a feather coming off of it, <laughs> <laughs> like a beaded pair of headphones. <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go that way. And I definitely didn't want to have like a clip art, something like that, like that, that's just not my style. And so I decided to draw my own, and I went through a couple of different versions of it and came up with what you see now is kind of like the original logo for Toasted Sister, and um, uh, people people really like it. And uh, how the Corn Man came about, though, was at, um, let's see, Indigenous Comic Con. I think it was the first or second Indigenous Comic Con, but um, I was part of some kind of a... Um, uh, uh, an event with Brian Yazzie and I wanted to create the poster for it but I didn't want it to be like you know any kind of old lame poster like I just can't do anything like that I can't do anything that comes from clip art I can't do anything that's like comes from some person who made a template I can't do that so I really wanted to put my own spin on it which I love horror I love like all the goth stuff I love you know that punk rock sort of look and vibe so I decided um I wanted to do like a Frankenstein sort of um old horror movie poster like the werewolf man the wolf man and dracula and all those the creature from the black lagoon like those classic movie posters i wanted to do something like that so i'm like i need some kind of monster person (laughs) i need some kind of monster person but it needs to be like native ish so you know looking through all these different classic horror movie posters i'm like hmm and you know i came up with a like a wolf man thing like eating a squash or something like that. <laughs> and you know microphone he's holding a microphone and that didn't work and and it's just like uh, suddenly a corn a, a corn and I thought his hair could be like that greaser kind of hair like like the stray cats <laughs> and uh, a leather jacket and um yeah that became the drawing for the poster for the event at Indigenous Comic-Con, and then I just got that um, regular, like, horror, you know, font and did that on top. I took that illustration of the corn man and really, like, redid it and did it up and everything, and that really became a really cool sort of vibe for the whole 
um, podcast and you know doing doing um, feathers and beads and stuff like that has never really been my style at all um, I think that style is pretty worn out sometimes kind of tacky um, I've never you know liked earth tones <laughs> and colors like that but you know but you see that for every other native project every other native thing has a powwow dancer has beads and feathers and, and, and earth tones and stuff like that. And I just, that's not my style. And that's not what I wanted Toasted Sister to be. I wanted it to stand out. You know, I stuck with that punk rock style and really just kept running with it. And I made the Celery Man, the Celery Sam, and that one carrot character <laughs> that's on the website. Yeah. You know, just, um, you know, but uh, some people might look at it as, like, childish. But, you know, it keeps up with that classic horror kind of punk rock sort of style. But I have I came up with the Merry Mother of the Corn. Mm -hmm. That one's a really popular style. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing the um, lino cut printing. And that has really become, like, something I've gotten obsessed with lately. And I've been doing a whole bunch of it lately for the Prickly Pear Festival making the bags and the makeup bags and the t-shirts and the aprons and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you know, that that's how the art came about. And um, I haven't uh, wanted to maybe commission any other artists to, to help out because I've already like developed this skill and also just my own style <laughs> that I can keep going with. Cool. I am a little salty because I was the one that drew the celery Sam. Oh yeah, huh? Well, I just drew with squiggles because I'm I don't I'm not a good artist, but I just drew like I <laughs> knew it was a celery stick because I think celery is the coolest vegetable in all the land. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but every time I bite a celery, it's like this is so cool. It comes out of the ground. I can't believe this is a, we eat this. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, and then and then throw on a cool shirt. But you added the squash um, leaves to the to his shirt. Yeah, scully um, shirt. Yeah, the scully shirt. <laughs> you you had him like in a cut off sort muscle, of jean muscle vest. Muscle shirt. It was a muscle, a muscle shirt, shirt with yeah. like big old muscles. Yeah, celery <laughs> muscles. <laughs> I thought, oh no, oh no, I might get banned from somewhere with all those guns. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember that it's never been your style to have like beads and turquoise and um, feathers and stuff like that. And it just everybody has their own style. Mm -hmm. And I think Toasted Sister is really an expression of, um, well, again, your passion in telling this type of story with a food and, and that kind of thing. So very, very cool. Mm -hmm. um, well, I know you because um, we're sisters. You do, like, the the work here at Native America Calling. You do Posted Sister stuff. You go to um, do different articles for different magazines, for food magazines. And then the art pieces that are all, these are time-consuming. They, they suck up a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. um, so we know, like, when not to bother you <laughs> when you're busy doing some kind of project. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, in the last couple of uh, months, it's kind of slowed down. I kind of bug you, like, where's the next Toasted Sister episode coming out? Because I drive a lot mm -hmm. uh, for work. I travel a lot, and I listen to podcasts. And one of your your episodes is, or one of your shows is what I listen to, along with all the serial killer stuff. But 
but it's really slowed down. Um, why, why did it slow down? It slowed down because um, there had been a period of burnout. Like you said, I did, you know, the podcast, my full-time job. I was doing, like, uh, speaking engagements and workshops and articles for other people, artwork, and, I, you know. Then there's, like, cleaning that I have to do <laughs> and laundry. And um, I even stopped, you know, kind of cooking, too. Um, you know, and somewhere in the middle of that last year, we both of us got in a car crash. We got hit by a drunk driver. That affected you a lot more than me, uh, but still... You know, that kind of like um, gave me a reason to just slow down a little bit because at least I could give that excuse to all these people who were needing stuff from me. But even before that, you know, I was I was slowing down and I wasn't doing much because I was in that state of burnout. (laughs) There was at least um, maybe a week or two where I just like didn't do anything. I just sat there <laughs> and there was, you know, a real depression that kind of happened. I, I, I saw emails coming in from people who needed things from me. I missed some de- uh, deadlines and stuff like that. And I just I didn't care anymore. I, I just was tired. You know, there was some weeks and days where I wouldn't even be sitting at the couch I would just finish up work here and then go home and get on my computer at home and and hardly ever going out. And, of course, like not making time to make any friends, (laughs) never socializing except with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't even live here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't even live here. So, you know, it was hard. You know, there was a while where I kept saying, I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to say yes to everybody. But... You know, a couple years ago, there was so many of opportunities being thrown my way. So many people wanting to um, have me, you know, put together a spread uh, of native food stuff for their magazine. And and all, all of this kind of just came to a stop. And I had to really deal with myself and really, like, figure out, like, I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> uh, I'm not happy. And then when I really started to feel like I was not happy doing all of this stuff that makes me happy, I got scared. Like, am I going to want to, like, go into financing or something? (laughs) No! No! (laughs) Am I going to want to, like, be a lawyer or something? Like, I don't... I I love... I love all this story... Storytelling and everything, and I love everything that I do with Toasted Sister, but, you know, I was just wearing myself so thin and not taking care of myself at all. And, you know, I started drinking a whole lot more, (laughs) you know, just by myself, you know, really just having trouble concentrating. And that was, it was actually like Monica who I think noticed all the signs in me for ADHD. And um, she said like, you should just get checked and see see what that's about. You know, it's just a test. Uh, so, you know, I go to IHS, you know, everything mm-hmm. is right there down the street. And I thought, you know, well, let's just see what that's about because I was already going to therapy. So they gave me the ADHD test and, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD two years ago. 
depression and anxiety and um, really started the medication process for that. And I think that has been, um, you know, a big change in my life and a positive change, too, to find out, you know, why it's, it would be so hard for me to concentrate and finish one thing. And that was a thing, too. Like, I would start so many little projects and house projects and Toasted Sister projects and, you know, line an interview up with somebody and at the same time line an interview up with two other people. And and then I would have to say, sorry, I don't have time. Sorry, I don't have time. You know, because I was just, I couldn't finish it. And I was taking on new stuff and have to push, you know. So looking around at my house and at my life and at my to-do list, everything was just like started and never completed. And that's horrible way to live. (laughs) That's one of the symptoms of uh, ADHD. And so, you know, about a year trying out different medications and now I'm at a really good spot where I think the medications are really good for me. I've said no to a lot of people, and I haven't been feeling bad about it at all. Now I'm sitting on the couch more than I ever have and watching (laughs) TV. (laughs) I'm watching TV again, and I am doing housework and really doing some deep cleaning in my house. The only thing, though, is I haven't started cooking again. I used to cook all kinds of meals and, and, you know, put it on my Instagram, but I, I don't know. That's something that just I haven't gotten a, a feel for again. It's, it, it comes back every now and then, but that's something I'd like to work on next. But right now I'm taking more care of myself, just resting, having real rest, and not feeling like there's so many deadlines around me and feeling crushed all the time. So that's why I've slowed down a whole bunch. But now I'm like, I'm wanting to put out more episodes. That's a lot. It really is a lot. And and we can't forget that you have been doing a lot of home renovations, too. Yeah. That's not a small thing. I'm a because, homeowner. <laughs> yeah. That's not a small thing for many reasons, but also that it disrupts your sense of safety, your sense of content in your home. Mm-hmm. And if you're not like content in your home, it, it makes a lot of, it builds up a lot of other things and it amplifies stress a lot. Yeah. Um, I myself is going through that while I'm transitioning back home. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it is a whole lot that you've been doing and self-care. Eh, that, that word just makes me cringe, but it's, it's such a true word that we can't always forget about. Mm-hmm. I had to think about that going through grad school. Mm-hmm. self-care I was working like 16 hours a day studying and doing assignments and teaching and all this stuff and I had no time for me what you've been doing is taking on so many things and I, I can I feel I feel for you because you felt like you were scared that this wasn't your passion anymore yeah I don't I've never heard you say that before <laughs> so that's all I've known about you from school from when we were kids to I was always kind of like jealous because you had that natural talent to write. It never was an effort for you. Like I had to learn. I had to learn grammatical things. And I still ask you specific things about what, how to write a, a certain thing. But <laughs> it's hard to talk about. Is it hard to talk about ADHD, having mm. that kind of stress and anxiety, depression? 
Um, before, I think right in the beginning it was when I got the call from my doctor that, you know, here's the results from your test and everything. And yep, you do have, and you know, from here, let's go forward with, uh, if you want medications or a different like therapy or more therapy. And I'm like, it it, it was almost like getting a, a diagnosis of a real like health physical problem like I felt that that rush of anxiety that just like you know takes all the blood out of your face yeah <laughs> and um you know after that I think I called you and I called mom and dad and I was like crying like it was a death sentence or something mm-hmm. <laughs> because I never wanted to take medications mm-hmm. but you know after after slowly getting into it and then right now feeling like balanced and you know literally not crying on the highway you know after work on the highway back home because you just can't you know handle all the pressure like literally crying all the time that was me Mm. (laughs) now I don't ever cry except for when you see cute kitties. When I see cute kitties. <laughs> <laughs> cute <puppies. laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we go to the, the, the animal adoption place and I see all those kittens and I just can't help myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I've written about it a couple of times in my um, newsletters and I've gotten a couple of responses from folks who um, have said, yeah, yeah, I have that too. And, you know, somebody wrote to me and, uh, like, signed their, you know, instead of, like, sincerely or love. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, from a fellow ADHD nerd. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Not a nerd. I'm <laughs> 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 not a fellow nerd. <laughs> but I like to go back to what you said about, like, feeling comfortable or, or protected in your own space. Content. Content in your own space. I mean, yeah, that takes a lot out of you and maybe just like certain people um uh for me I can't be in you know it 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 makes me feel anxious and kind of like off when I'm in a place that just doesn't look right or feel right to me you know I take a lot of care with the way my house looks because I can and you know nobody else lives with me so I can get to do I get to do like whatever I want to the aesthetics of my own house and that makes me feel so comfortable so you know taking care of that was something that I always thought was really really important for me and I can look back like on our house that we grew up in um, and how cluttered it was because you know we had a lot of people in the house back then I remember that feeling of feeling cramped and just like kind of uncomfortable now that I have the um, the freedom and the money to really make a space my own and make it feel comfortable. It's really, really also been a help for me. Here too, <laughs> moving into my own office with my own little space and having just kind of like a almost clutter-free area I feel a lot more comfortable in a different setting than from the office area that I was at before because that was it's almost like a a half storage area where there's just random things here and there and yeah vibes are really really important and the vibe a place can give you can throw you off or not and I think people should pay more attention to that yeah I think that's that's new to me uh, 
just because I've lived in a dorm. I've lived a small, tiny apartment. Or I think what you do has brought out a lot to our family's attention. Like, things that we don't ever talk about. Like, I don't know. It's a roundabout way of saying you, what you do is not un... Is not We acknowledge it in, in ways that, like, oh, now we can pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Now there's that type of restaurant. Now there's this type of music. Now there's this type of decoration that's that does make us feel more comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if Dad will ever, ever say something like that. <laughs> but we feel like, okay, Andy's house is this certain way. And I like coming and, saying, and staying at your house when we visit because... Um, there's just this little, a little bit more space. That's it. And it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we, the way we, we grew up with mom and dad and, and just their hard work and everything, we, we just made do with what we had mm-hmm. and they worked really hard and, and, um, now look, they worked really hard and now look at what we do. Like yeah. you have, you have a podcast that's nobody else does what you do in this podcast. Nobody else writes what you write about and. Um, talk and, and share these stories and I, I, I ended up in my job and I'm the first uh, in my position ever for the tribe so like their hard work gave us this and we work hard too so I don't know it's just really cool um, so I think I think we've learned a lot about you is <laughs> <laughs> <Was that> enough <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's days more we can <laughs> learn more about you um, but one one of the most important questions and probably the the deepest so get down all the way down to your nucleus okay. <laughs> um and, and answer this um in all the five years that you've worked on toasted sister and even writing about other native foods that are not about toasted sister but what is the most important thing that you've learned while working and, and listening to stories and interviews and people talk about indigenous food what is the most important thing that you've you've taken from that yeah the most important thing um i've learned doing all this podcast listening to all these stories um learning about all of these issues is um individual people everybody needs to learn how to cook you know all of this work that Um, chefs and farmers and policy people and uh, tribal leaders, you know, grassroots groups, nonprofits, all that money that's going around for all of these different culinary and uh, culinary projects and um, uh, food sovereignty projects. It doesn't mean anything if we don't know how to bring these ingredients and these flavors and these foods into our own home. It, it, it doesn't really mean much when, you know, a local uh, farmer comes out with, you know, all these really awesome vegetables and a variety of vegetables and, um, you know, the, the whole, you know, organic and farm to table sort of thing. If, if we're not like hungry for that, then, you know, why are they even there? You know, because a lot of these, a lot of these people, they're working so that we have access to foods, that we have knowledge to grow and, um, uh, you know, eat these foods. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of what's, you know, you know, sometimes what's lacking is people's ability to cook and be excited 
to cook and, um, you know, just have a, a wider palate. Um, you know, with a wider palate and a you know educated palate, knowing how things taste and learning different ways to cook different ingredients, you can you can bring almost anything into your own kitchen. That that's one of the most important things I've learned. There's a whole bunch of ways to talk about food sovereignty, and I know when people talk about food sovereignty, it seems like this big, giant concept, this big, moving thing, and how how am I, little Andy Murphy right here, how am I going to be part of it? Like, it's too big. Um, I don't have time to, you know, be part of this whole movement, this giant thing. But, you know, if everybody learned how to cook and learned how to be, like, hungry and, um... Uh, inventive with these foods in their own kitchens, then, you know, that's a huge, huge part of that. When you're saying learning how to cook, you're also down to the the trivial things like learning how to use a knife, the proper knife, uh, learning how to have foods at a certain temperature and when things are in season and when to use them, when they're the most flavorful uh, things like those short cooking demos. I saw how you used um, a knife to cut mint. You rolled up the mint and you cut it like that. That to somebody who doesn't do that every day was helpful to see. Mm-hmm. And then I think this was all during COVID when you made those videos. And so I yeah. was home and I took the time to do that. And so that was awesome because I saw what you did and then I could do it myself. Uh, and then, of course, I just bug you about when things are in harvest. And stuff yeah. Like but <laughs> what else are you talking about? Like how to cook, like um, bringing things into your home, like wild rice. You, you had come into some wild rice and gave it to me. Um, I only made it one way. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, you know, when I when I talk about wild rice um, and, and bringing different ingredients, you know, I can name, you know, tepary beans from Ramona Farms over there or wild rice from any of the lakes up there and maple syrup. I know that uh, puts me in a place of privilege and um, I recognize my place of privilege, um, you know, when I mention some of these things because getting a bottle of maple syrup from way over there it's a $20 bottle with like a a $10 you know shipping and handling what I'm also talking about is like your local farmers and growers and your tribal farmers and growers here in your own native community um I'm also thinking about like I mean I can cook I just it just takes time Mm -hmm. so when I was living in Las Cruces and I was a student full-time student I didn't have that time, so I meal prepped. So I cooked big things to, ha- to eat all week. And one of my favorite things to cook was curry. Mm. Um, I didn't learn that on my own. I learned that from you because I watched you. So, like, a lot of people watch their families, watch their grandma, their, their parents cook for them. And that's kind of like their style of cooking. For instance, potatoes and Spam. Mm-hmm. Very popular, very good. Um, but... How does one move from that to let's 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 expand the palette? Mm-hmm. That is a really really good question. I don't think anybody has asked me that before. Like with our family, it was me just you know being this uh, food writer for three years <laughs> and getting to go to all these restaurants, like literally every restaurant in Las Cruces, 
you know, me getting on the phone with everybody like, oh my gosh, next time you guys come to Las Cruces, we're going to go over here for some Greek food. They have this new uh, Vietnamese restaurant. We have to go over here. You know, so, so, you know, in some families, there's probably, there's probably people who are like me, like, oh my gosh, next time they come over, I'm treating everybody over and, you know, treating everybody out to this Indian restaurant. Grandpa or dad has never had Indian food, but damn it. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to love it. No, what dad loves Indian food Mm -hmm. and Vietnamese food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, you know, that, you know, the whole meat and potatoes and, and your family's own, like, your own tradition, traditional foods, like the recipes, whether that's biscuits or tortillas or spam and potatoes, those kind of recipes in your family that have been passed down for generations, those will always be good. And I think those will always have a place. But, you know, when we talk about health, and I, you know, I hate to talk about health, but some of these foods like meat and potatoes and spam and you know that kind of stuff it takes up too much of our home menu how i think of it and how i think everybody should think about this is you're going to eat every day until the day you die there is so much room and so much time for you to give something else a chance if you're curious about something go out there and get it and try it there are other options. There are other flavors out there that will surprise you. There are other ways of cooking things that will surprise you, and it'll definitely make you a better cook, and it'll make you a whole lot more and more creative. Mm-hmm. That's the word I was trying to think of. Like I, uh, I got distracted by these twinkly lights mm-hmm. up here. <laughs> shiny. <laughs> oh, shiny stuff. <laughs> I'll stay ADHD part a little bit. (laughs) It makes you more creative and it it makes you like less scared to try something else that's new. True. When I make curry and I'm confident in making curry, even for mom and dad at home, like it's, I do feel good about it and I feel like I want to try something else. And I'm not like, I'm not like a terrible cook. It's just like you said, you come in a place of privilege. It also means that thing that means that you come in as you're in it. You're in Albuquerque. Mm, you have access mm-hmm. to grocery stores and all kinds of things. As people on the res, we don't have access to that. We have one grocery store, maybe not even a grocery store. Maybe it's a convenience store that has limited options. Mm-hmm. But I think we all go to the border towns. <laughs> we all participate in that uh, economic leakage. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, there's the opportunity for people to try new things. And it's fun. And you learn about something somewhere else. You learn about a different part of the world. You learn about other people's creativity. So <laughs> I think it's all good. And it's delicious. Yeah. Meow, <laughs> Okay. I think I'm out of questions. All right. I have to. I'm actually hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah. Uh, we should call someone. <laughs> <laughs> we should cook. <laughs> Nah, it takes too long. <laughs> and it's weird to be at home and we have I am I love after living away from for, from home for more than fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I have home cooked food every single day. And that's brand new. That's mm-hmm. so and then to eat out I'm like, wow, everything's so greasy, so salty. Mm. Um so I'm getting that type of experience now. Yeah. That's weird. 
Yeah, sometimes you guys you guys send me all the food that you know mom makes and dad makes, and every morning before I wake up, you you're texting dad. Uh, thank you for the egg sandwich. I'm yeah. on my way to work and whatever, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, God. <laughs> <laughs> I've I haven't had breakfast in like three years. <laughs> <laughs> I come here and I have uh, lunch after the show and everything. And then um, I'm a late dinner eater. Like mm-hmm. my dinner is like around ten. And then when you guys come around, you're like, you're hung. You guys are hungry like at five. It's five twenty three right now. Yep, nursing home hours. And you're like, there's breakfast and coffee in my kitchen. <laughs> then there's lunch and dinner and sometimes snacks. And I'm like, wow, gosh, these guys. <laughs> That's their privilege. <laughs> you get to have regular three meals a day. I just have two. Sometimes it's even one. That was me, Andy Murphy. (laughs) Thank you to my sister, Alicia Murphy, for spending time with me in the studio at Native America Calling. If you want more radio on current food news from Native America, tune into The Menu on Native America Calling. It's a monthly show scheduled for the last Friday of the month that I produce and host. I bring in guests to talk about food policy, new restaurants, people making waves, and what's in season. Visit NativeAmericaCalling.com for more info on this special feature called The Menu, not to be confused with the upcoming horror movie. Music for Toasted Sister is by C.W. Ione. Check out his music at cwion.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. I'm Andy Murphy, overlord of the Toasted Sister podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.